Well, good morning. I want to invite us all to stand as we praise the Lord together. Let's sing what heart could hold. What heart could hold the weight of your love and know the heights of your great worth? What eyes could look on your glorious face shining like the sun? Like you, God, you 
continue to stay standing.
Good morning, everyone. That's enough hugging. Don't you know that that spreads germs? And welcome to Alden Union Church, and special welcome to any of you who may be visiting with us this morning. If you are a visitor, maybe your first time, first time in a long time, we have a packet of information we'd like to put into your hands. If you just raise your hand, Pastor Kevin will see to it that you get that information. So uh, just raise it until he finds you. It's a little card we'd like for you to fill out. If you put that in the offering plate later, then we can acknowledge your visit by letter, which we would be very privileged to do. Some big things are happening at Alden Union Church, and I'd like to take you through a few of them. Make sure that you don't miss them. Some of them are in the bulletin, some of them are not. Uh, but first of all, uh, recognize, uh, let me ask you to pass the friendship pads too before we get into the announcements. So if you pass that down your row and learn the name of each person in your row so that you can greet them by name later on. Also, we're encouraging everyone to go to Bible school afterwards. If you're not sure what class is for you or where a class is, just go to the back and in the back into the narthex there, you'll see a welcome center. There's some very nice people who would love to point you in the right direction. 
Tonight we continue the third and four Sunday night electives. You can read about them in the bulletin. Next Sunday is a very special one in the life of Alden Union Church. We have a special celebration planned to thank the Lord for the 100th anniversary of the founding of our Bible school. I'd like to ask you to do me a favor. Would you take out your bulletin? You should all have a bulletin in your hand. Open it up. Because I'd like you to see this as well as hear this to make sure that no one shows up an hour and a half early next week. So if you look at the box on the right-hand page, as you open your bulletin, the right-hand page, where it says 100th anniversary celebration of the Bible school. Then it says, join us next Sunday, October 12th, as we thank the Lord together for 100 years of Bible school here at AUC. That morning, we will unite our morning worship and Bible school times into one combined service from 9.45 until 11.15 a.m., followed by a luncheon together down in Fellowship Hall to which everyone is invited. And parents of children in grades 1 to 5 should note that their children will stay with them for the entire service. So whatever you have to do to sedate them or what you normally will... No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so please don't... Please don't go and and complain about that somewhere. In addition, it's very important that everyone remember next week the ministry of remote parking. We talk about that a lot, and especially as the weather gets more severe, as it might. If you're an optimist, we'll get a lot of snow this winter. Um, Otherwise, we might not. But remote parking means that if you can park on the lot across the street or somewhere on the street rather than on our main lot, We should be having, according to all indications, many, many visitors next week. Those who have been here in the past and are coming from all over the Lancaster area and the retirement centers and everywhere else. So uh, leave the parking, if you will, close to the church to them. So we encourage you to do that. And also, please remember to write up your memories or reflections for the memory book that we're compiling. That goes for current members as well as old timers. And we're looking still for memorabilia, pictures, that sort of thing, and the person to contact is in the bulletin. Please read the announcement about Alden Cares in the bulletin. It's carefully worded. It gives us great information. We're trying to meet an extensive and growing need for food for our church families and for our community. Special emphasis during the first week of every month, which this happens to be our first Sunday to do that. So what is needed will change monthly. This month's needs are in the bulletin along with the locations of the food receptacles. But the uh, need is increasing. That means that our love has to be increasing as well. So please read that very carefully. There's also uh, a couple of announcements in the bulletin that are, and this is wonderful, that have to do with Christmas and the holiday season already. There's help for those dealing with grief during the holidays. So read about that surviving the holidays meeting coming up on November 6th. And also, ladies, don't miss the Winter Tour, Yuletide House Tour, and Downton Abbey exhibit on November 29th. All the information is in there. And ladies, today is the first day to sign up for Side by Side. You may do that at the women's ministry table uh, across from the nurseries, a little bit further past them on the way to the chapel. And we have this announcement to make. Dora McAllister went home to be with the Lord early on Friday morning. There will be a service for here on Saturday at 1230 pre p.m. preceded by visitation of the family from 10.30 a.m. until 12.30 p.m. 
Dora McAllister at age 98 and in her final day still witnessing to people about the Lord and desiring people to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, one other note of importance as Chuck comes up here, he's going to lead us in prayer. Uh, one other note of importance, our ESL that you've been praying for, English is a second language. Uh, we had 17 registered to come on Thursday night, 26 came instead. Uh, it's already a growing ministry and it's just started. So pray for that ministry if you will. And it takes Chuck a long time to get up here. And as he's coming up here, Derek's going to make an announcement for us. Just a reminder uh, that our cantata rehearsals start on this Thursday, um, and this Thursday is a preview, so just come and you can just listen through. It's something you might want to be a part of. So we're starting this Thursday at 7.45 down in the choir room. Hope to see many of you there. It's my privilege to uh, lead you in the missionary prayer. Um, that will be for Brian and Sandy Robinson from Handicap uh, Ministries. Uh, Let's just go to prayer together. Father, I thank you that we can approach you in such a way that, that we know that because of your character, because of who you are, because of the great love that, that you have for us, that, that we can't even begin to comprehend so, Lord, we can, we can approach you with boldness, with assurance, and were it not for your character and for who you are, that that would be nothing short of arrogance. But you love it when we come to you and pray. And I just thank you for that relationship that we have with you. Lord, I thank you for Dora McAllister, Lord, and, and just for that life that shined so bright through all, all the, her years. And, uh, boy, Father, I just can't wait to see her again sometime in glory. So I just ask your blessing particularly on the family as they grieve the loss but celebrate the life. And again, I, I just thank you so much for her. For those who we've, we've highlighted in our, in our bulletin this morning, uh, we do pray for Bruce Lefferts, your soldier in our Navy, uh, serving in Italy, Lord, that I, I pray that you will keep him safe out of harm's way. But also, Lord, that, that he would sense your presence um, with you as he serves our country. That you give him wisdom and grace um, as he just interacts with, with other men and women who are serving in the military and who are not serving in the military. Think of Hope uh, Chambly and, and Andrew Crawford, away at college, Lord that education is always about a battle for the mind and of the heart, and that they would sense your, your presence with them, that you give them clarity of thinking as they wrestle with issues, as the, in, in education you do and you should. Lord, that you would marry them to your absolute truth as they process all the information, all the data, all the things that, that they need to do as they are away at school. Father, I thank you for Dan Hegman. And Lord, for, for calling him to, to being on the, the board of elders, I, I thank you for his presence, what he brings to that board. And what I pray, Lord, is you would put a hedge of protection around him and his family, that you would keep him um, 
mentally and, and spiritually sensitive to your spirit's leading, that he would have your eyes to see the, the hurting in our congregation, the, the wisdom to lead in a way that is attuned to your Holy Spirit. And then finally, Father, I would just pray that, that you would be with Brian and, and Sandy Robinson as they serve to you with, with handicapped ministry. Um, they had several requests, uh, change in location, several ministries, that, that uh, initiatives that they are doing. Father, again, they represent you and us uh, as they, they are missionaries from us. So, Lord, I, I do pray that your spirit would just lead them and, and give them a peace and a boldness that only comes from, from you. And for all of us, I would pray that same thing. That, that you would give us a difference as we interact with our world. And then finally, Father, this is October is Pastor Appreciation Month. And I so thank you for uh, those men who have just led at Alden Union for the way they pour themselves into our lives. And I do pray that you would bless them with more than double portion, that they would, they would just sense that well-done, good and faithful servant as they serve us, as they minister to us through your power. And finally, Father, I just ask your blessing on our offering as we take it now, that it would um, be used fully for your honor and glory. Bless those who, who give and, and certainly bless the offering itself to use it for your full honor and glory and for the glory of your Son. So what we do, we commit to you for that end. Just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. This song is called, You Are Mighty. How many of you would agree that the Lord is a great God? And he is mighty in all that he does. The scriptures over and over confirm his mightiness. There are some verses out of Psalm 104 that says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Oh, Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He set forth the earth on its foundations so that it should never, never be moved. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. Oh, Lord, how manifold are your works. Wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Praise the Lord. And most of that scripture actually has exclamation points after these sentences so that we should read them and understand them with emphasis that he is mighty. Amen? You are mighty. You are holy.
Well, as the children are dismissed, I want to invite us all to stand as we continue to praise the Lord. Take my life and let it be all for you 
line. Glory to God forever. Glory to God forever. Praise the Lord. Well, you may be seated this morning. Let's join together for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that we're able to sing glory to you right now and we can do it forever. Thank you for forever. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you for that which we've already begun, eternal life, when we came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, who's our life. But thank you that we can look forward to that eternal state when we're with you forever. And thank you now that while we're still here, you have things for us to do, ways for us to act, ways that will bring glory to you, ways that will identify ourselves as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So. Help us now as we look to your word to be better prepared to do that. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn together in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we'll be looking at verses 43 through 48. These are the words of the Lord Jesus. Not easy words, especially in the world in which we live today. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do that the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We've learned that Jesus did not come to abolish the law or the prophets a reference to the Old Testament scriptures. We've seen that. Jesus said it himself in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, and some of you have that on the same page or the page before. You can glance back at that, but those are the words that Jesus gave to us. He didn't come to abolish or to obliterate the law. He didn't come to render it totally useless. Instead, he came to fulfill it or to fill it full, as it literally means. Over the course of several months, we've looked at six ways Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. One of the ways was by giving teaching that furthered or strengthened the intentions of the original commands. There are six examples of how he did this in Matthew chapter 5. And if you glance through, if you have headings, you'll see them. If not, you'll see them anyway. We've looked at five of those examples, murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, and retaliation. And this week we're going to look at the sixth example, loving our enemies. When you think of an enemy, what do you think of? So picture this in your mind. When you're thinking of an enemy, are you seeing the man in the black robe with the black mask 
wielding that small sword or long knife in his hand, standing behind the American journalist, Stephen Sutloff. Now, some of the pictures may be a little disturbing, but they could have been a whole lot more disturbing. I tried to pick the tamest ones, but when you're thinking of an enemy, is this what you're thinking of? And what are you thinking when you see a picture like this? What are your thoughts? What are your emotions? What's going through your mind right now when you see something like that? Or when you're thinking about ISIS right now and thinking about this is not a beheading, but, and I didn't want to put that on there, but the beheading of children or shooting of individuals who have done nothing other than be Christians or be infidels to the faith of those who are doing that. Or maybe when you're thinking of an enemy, maybe you go all the way back to 911 and you relive some of the horrors of the four plane crashes and you think in terms of American lives being lost here on our planet under attack, thinking in terms of that kind of enemy. Or when you're thinking of an enemy, maybe you're thinking about those who persecute the church around the world. Uh, it's not a new thing. But it is something that is currently going on. And there are a lot of graphic pictures that I waded through in order to select the ones that would be, I think, less disturbing than others. But I think all of us in our minds are going to places right now where we're thinking about enemies. We're thinking about enemies on a worldwide scale. We're thinking about those who are attacking believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are attacking innocent people. Those who are under attack. And they're under attack because there are some who don't like the fact that they're not Muslim or they're not who they are, and that's enough to persecute them. Thinking in terms of what goes on in Iraq and Syria and Afghanistan and Nigeria and places all over our world. So if you're thinking of these kinds of enemies, the message today may be very hard for you to swallow because these are very hard images to dismiss easily from our minds. It may not be easy to find love for enemies and have a desire to pray for persecutors, but isn't that what Jesus said? Do you remember the part? But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Does that include people like we saw here? The first picture of the man in the mask. Do we have to love him? Do we have to pray for him? Isn't that what Jesus said? Isn't that what Jesus would do? Isn't that what Jesus did? And yes, we have to do that. Well, let's see what Jesus said and put this all into context because some of us, I think, need some more convincing because, as I said before, this is not easy to swallow when we've got to love enemies. So what did Jesus say? First of all, he said, you have heard. This is verse 43. You have heard. Well, the question is, what had they heard? Easy answer, they had heard that it was said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what they had heard. That was what the rabbis had been inferring and teaching. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, on a human level, doesn't that make a whole lot more sense than what we've been saying so far? You, you hate your enemy. That's the nature of the word enemy. It's somebody that you're opposed to. It's somebody that would do you evil, immense evil. So humanly speaking, it makes a whole lot of sense to hate that enemy. 
Well, where had they heard that? Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Where had they heard that? You remember as we've been going through Matthew chapter 5, a lot of what they had heard had been a commandment in the scriptures that had been abused and misused and switched around over the years. But what they had heard here was not anywhere found in the Old Testament scriptures. It was exactly the opposite. It was commanded by the law to love your neighbor. That part is true. But it became inferred by the Jewish religious leaders that to love your neighbor meant you should hate your enemy. Unfortunately, the rabbinic tradition had truly perverted the teaching of the Old Testament. If you look on the screen at Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, here's what they would have been told. Here's what they should have known. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Notice that it included there as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. It was that as yourself part that became very difficult for them to put into practice. It was too demanding for the self-righteous Pharisees. It had fallen into disuse. They had basically forgotten about that whole idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. And you remember what Jesus did recorded in Luke, Luke chapter 10? When he was asked by a lawyer the question, well, who is your neighbor? If I'm supposed to love him, who is your neighbor? And then Jesus gave the parable of the good Samaritan. Remember the Samaritans hated the Jews as much as the Jews hated the Samaritans, and it was the Samaritan who reached out to help a Jewish man when other Jewish leaders, religious leaders, passed by on the other side and didn't stop to help. Jesus had set the example. He told us about who the neighbor should be. But anybody who was different, anybody who was out of the ordinary, anybody who wasn't exactly who they were, were treated as outcasts and as enemies. The Gentiles were not considered neighbors. They were considered enemies. The Samaritans, a lot of people were, were treated as enemies. In fact, here's what one commentator says. A saying of the Pharisees has been discovered that reads, if a Jew sees a Gentile fallen into the sea, let him by no means lift him out. For it is written, Thou shalt not rise up against the blood of thy neighbor, but this man is not thy neighbor. It is little wonder that the Romans charged Jews with hatred of the human race. They only loved themselves and never ventured beyond that. That was the teaching that Jesus is addressing. What had they heard? Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And the neighbor was consigned to a very, very small group of people at that particular time. Then Jesus went on. But I say to you, for the sixth time now, Jesus is going to straighten out the reasoning that had gone astray at that particular time. But I say to you, so please understand, this is inscripturated, and this is what Jesus said. Therefore, we don't have any choice but to accept it and to live by these words. Whether it feels right to us or not, whether it feels good, whether I really want to hate some of these people who have done some of these things, I don't have that option if I want to follow what Jesus said. But I say to you, well, what did Jesus say? Love 
your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You notice here that enemies is plural. Enemies come in all sizes and shapes. It's not just love your enemy. It's not just one particular nation that we're at war with or one particular individual. All sizes, all shapes. And our enemies are far more than international terrorists. That's what we think about first. But now let's think secondly, because we may have a lot more enemies than we think we have. Love your enemy. Do you know who your enemy could be? Your enemy could be that sixth grader who made fun of the way you looked or the way you attempted to play sports or the one who made fun of you because in art class, this is how I was made fun of, in art class, if I would be told to draw a deer, it would look more like a house than a deer. If you were to say to somebody, what is this? They would, no recognition of that. Maybe your enemy goes back to formative years, 6th, 7th, 8th grade, where somebody made fun of you for whatever. You've never gotten over it. And I'm not just talking to 6th graders right now. I'm talking to those in your 70s and 80s and 40s and 50s. Maybe it was a 7th grader who bullied you back then, who in your mind, whenever that name appears, is still an enemy. Maybe it's a fellow worker who lied to you or lied about you. Or this is a tough one. Maybe it's someone who hurt your child. Maybe it's someone who hurt your friend or another family member. Maybe it's someone who stole from you. Someone who cheated you. Someone who got what you deserved, whether it be recognition of some kind or anything else. Maybe it's somebody who broke a solemn promise to you, let you down, pulled the rug right out from under you. Maybe it's someone who abused you, beat you, screamed at you, rejected you. You see what I mean when I say that enemies come in many sizes and many shapes and many forms. Did Jesus mean love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in a broad, all-encompassing way? He had to have. Maybe it's those who discriminate against you, those who treated you unfairly, those who talked behind your back, gossiped about you, made you look bad. Maybe those are the enemies in view. Maybe it's those who made fun of you and then ignored you because you went to church or you refused to party with them or you decided at a young age that you would save your virginity for your marriage partner and people made fun of you all the time because of that. Or they insulted you because you carried a Bible occasionally or because you were offended at their profanity or their misuse of the name of the Lord in conversation. Maybe because to the people around you often you were a holy roller, a goody-goody two-shoes, a deacon Dan, a religious fanatic a cultist, a Jesus freak, or worse. Now let me ask you a very introspective question that all of us have got to ask and answer in our lives. Very introspective question is, how do I know whether I consider someone my enemy? How do I know that? How do I know what God's pointing a finger at here this morning? Well, a good place to start is to ask yourself this question. Whose name 
or what group came into your mind when we first began this discussion this morning? How do I know whether I consider someone my enemy? <laughs> because that name's in your mind already. Or that group of people is in your mind right now. Ask God to make it clear. But ask God, who are my enemies? Who are those that I need to apply this message to? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I'm looking at some of the images that we saw on the screen. They're still in my mind. Do I need to pray for that guy in the mask? And it happened again this week, this weekend. Do I need to pray for those people when I get so incensed when I see what they're doing? They've got somebody tied up and they're about to cut off a head. Do I need to pray for that person? Do I need to pray that God would rain fire down on his head or do I need to pray for his salvation? Do I need to pray that God would bring somebody into his life that would help him to see the light? And I think you know the answer to that. I think you know because of what Jesus said. Now imagine how these words of Jesus must have been shocking. But maybe you don't have to be imagined because maybe you're being shocked even yourself right now because you hadn't given thought to this idea that some of these enemies are the very ones that I need to be praying for and I need to be loving them in whatever ways that I can. Love my enemies. Love them. You notice Jesus didn't say tolerate your enemies. And Jesus didn't say don't hate your enemies. Jesus didn't even say don't pray for their ruin. He says love them. Love those enemies. One commentator puts it this way. All around him, that is Jesus, all around him were those walls and fences. He came for the very purpose of bursting those barriers so that love, pure, warm, divine, infinite, would be able to flow straight down from the heart of God, hence from his own marvelous heart into the hearts of men. His love overleaped all the boundaries of race, nationality, party, age, sex. When he said, I tell you, love your enemies, he must have startled his audience, for he was saying something that probably never before had been said so succinctly, positively, and forcefully. And did you notice that we are commanded to love our enemies? wasn't a suggestion. We're commanded. It's an act of the will. It's not an emotional feeling. It's not offered as an option. It is an act of obedience. As I said before, for a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, he didn't leave us a way out of this command. Another question we see as we look beginning with verse 45 is why did Jesus tell us to grant grace and mercy to our enemies? Why did he do that? What's the reason? What's the purpose? And there are a couple of very good purposes that are here. If you look at verse 45, you'll see the first of them. So that we could be like our Heavenly Father. I want you to be this way, he said, because that's the way the Father is. So that we would do what children do. They emulate their Father. Sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. But when we emulate our Heavenly Father, it's always good. Loving our neighbor, praying for those who persecute us, doesn't make us sons and daughters of God, but it demonstrates that we are. Don't be misled by what it says there. 
that is not working your way into God's grace, but that's showing that we're already there. Well, how does our Heavenly Father treat people? How does He treat people of the world? It says here He makes His sun rise on the evil and the good. He doesn't withhold the benefits of the sun from the evil and allow them only for the good. The sun gives us a whole lot of things. The sun gives us light and warmth and photosynthesis to help grow plants. Gives us vitamin D. Some of us don't get enough of it. That's why we have to take the vitamin D from a bottle. The sun gives us bone health in older adults. It helps to heal psoriasis. It aids the body in the production of melatonin that helps us to sleep. It aids us with depression, and the list could go on and on. But God didn't reserve that just for the good people. Everybody gets the sun. And he goes on to say everybody gets the rain too. He sends the rain for everyone, the just and the unjust. The theologians call this common grace. God gives this to everyone. Why? Why does he do that? On the screen you'll see Acts chapter 14, verse 17. It says, Yet he did not leave himself without witness. God didn't leave himself on this planet without witness. There are things that he does that testify to who he is and testify to his love. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. This is for everyone. And in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So God has a purpose for loving the whole world, for loving everybody, for having the sun for everybody, the rain coming down for everyone, the fruit, everything for everyone, It's part of his testimony. And after all, we are his ambassadors and we need to keep that going, that love that everyone is supposed to get, not just the people that are our in-group. Why did Jesus ask us to grant grace and mercy to our enemies? First of all, so that we could be like our Heavenly Father. And then secondly, so that we will show that being children of God makes us different than those who are not. You look at verses 46 and 47, you'll see that we're cut to be different, different mold from the people of the world. Because it's easy to love those who love you. And that's what it says. It's easy. If somebody loves you, it's so easy to love them back. Do you notice what Jesus said? Even the hated tax collectors do that. That comes naturally. Love responds to love. And then Jesus said, how is it to your credit if you do something that comes naturally even for the worst people in society? It comes naturally for them, so how is it to your credit? Is that rewardable? Is that laudable? Somebody loves you, you love them back. You love within your family. You love within your circle. Well, everybody does that. That's not how believers should react only to a limited group of people. It's normal and easy to greet our brothers, it says. Our brothers, speaking about our family, but also speaking close relationship. Our brothers used in both of those senses. But again, how is that better or different than anyone else? Because people do that, whether they're believers or not. It says even the Gentiles do that. 
So the hated tax collectors and the hated Gentiles, they can love those to whom it comes naturally. And they can do things in response to good that comes to them. But what makes a difference is when it's not the people that love us that are being loved. It's not the people that are harming, or it is the people that are harming us that are getting the love. Now, what I'd like to do now, so I'd like to bring a very lengthy conclusion. Please don't get your hopes up when you see that word conclusion. This is a very lengthy conclusion application. But remember, one of the things we were told to was to pray for those who persecute us. That's a good start to loving them, to pray for those who persecute us. Now, for a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, all of us at one time or another should have somebody on our list of persecutors because it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, and you've heard me quote this many times, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So if you've never experienced persecution of any kind, ridicule, scorn, or anything else, check your uniform. Because maybe you've been wearing the uniform of the other side. Maybe you haven't been living a godly life in Christ Jesus, so nobody cares, so nobody's going to persecute you, nobody's going to say anything against you or about you. Praying for those who persecute you. Practical application. I want to share with you an article that I read just this week in Voice of the Martyrs, a little magazine that they produce. Something to me that was very incredible. I'm going to share it to you at at length. I don't ordinarily do that. But this is written by an individual who was having a very, very difficult time, and you'll see. His name is Habila Adamu. Habila Adamu and his family were awakened by the sound of someone pounding on the front door of their simple home in northern Nigeria. It was 11 p.m., well past the hour for a neighborly visit, so the only reason for someone to be at the door was an emergency, or worse, an attack on their village. The pounding on the door was followed by the sound of men yelling for Habila to come out with his family. Habila rushed to get dressed. When he entered the front room with his wife, Vivian, and their young son close behind, he faced intruders wearing robes and masks. One was armed with an AK-47. Habila said a short prayer to the Lord. After announcing that they were there to do the work of Allah, the men began to question Habila. They asked him his name, his profession, whether he was a policeman or in the military, and whether he was a Christian or Muslim. I am a Christian, he replied. Vivian was terrified, knowing the men were members of Boko Haram. You may not know that by name, but you've heard of them, Boko Haram. Um, It was a group started in 2002. It was recently has become a household name because of its highly publicized kidnapping of those 270 schoolgirls in Nigeria. And while the group claims a violent objection to anything Western, its current leader released a video this year clearly stating that his jihad or holy war against, was against Christians. And he says, this war is against Christians. I mean Christians, generally the infidels. Allah says we should finish them when we get them. That's who it was that was at his door and now in his house. The intruders told Habila that they were giving him the opportunity to live and live a better life if he would only become a Muslim and say the Shahada. 
which is what Islamic professors of faith will say. There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his messenger. They even asked him to join them as a member of Boko Haram. All the while, Habila was prepared to die. I am a Christian and will always remain a Christian, he replied, even to death. Turning to Vivian, one of the men said, if your husband does not cooperate with us, you will watch him die. Believing that her husband's death was imminent, Vivian cried out with fear and grief. The intruders repeated their offer to Habila, and he again refused. Your husband is stubborn, the men told Vivian. They asked her why she couldn't convince him to deny Christ and live a good life. Don't worry, Habila told his wife as the rifle was aimed at his head. The death of a Christian is a great gain, not a loss. The men looked back at Vivian and demanded that she bring them all the money they had. She scoured the rooms of their small home, grabbing anything of value that she could find and hoped that the men would be satisfied and spare her husband's life. But it wasn't enough. The man with the AK-47 placed the barrel next to Habila's mouth. Since you refuse to become a Muslim, he said, here is your reward. Then he pulled the trigger. Habila fell to the floor as blood streamed from his face. Vivian cried out in horror. Shut up, woman, yelled one of the attackers. If you try to get help, we will find you and kill you and your child. The men kicked Habila's leg to make sure he was dead. Satisfied that they had done Allah a service, they chanted, Allahu Akbar, Allah is great, and then left the house. Minutes passed, and the pool of blood expanded around Habila's body. As Vivian cried over her husband, she heard him gasp, I am still alive. Please get help. Her heart filled with hope as she rose quickly from the floor. She struggled to open the door of the fence in their yard before realizing the attackers had locked it. She finally managed to leave the house and run to her neighbor's home. The neighbors called the police for help, but they never arrived. Habila didn't get to a hospital until 6 a.m. the next morning. During that attack in November 2012, Boko Haram raided the homes of more than 30 members of Habila's church. All of them refused to convert to Islam, choosing to die rather than turn their backs on Christ. Habila and his family were the only survivors. Habila was transferred to several hospitals in an attempt to get him the medical attention he needed. When his medical records were later reviewed by Voice of the Martyrs medical worker, Dr. Jim, he said, it is only by God's grace that he survived. Habila was scheduled to undergo a bone graft to repair his cheekbone, which was destroyed by the bullet. But before doctors began the operation, they were shocked to see that his cheekbone had healed. There was no need for the graft. Today, Habila continues to share his testimony with others. Here's the point. That's why I shared the story. What kind of an attitude should he have toward those people who came in and shot him in front of his family? What kind of an attitude might you have? And I know it's very hard to imagine that situation. Here's why I'm sharing this. When a voice of the martyr's worker asked him how he feels about those who shot him, he said, we are condemned criminals. Christ died for us. He loves us. That's why we must show that love to the people that hate us. Since that day, I pray to God, God, forgive them. God, forgive them. My prayer is that they will know the truth and be saved. 
not to be condemned. I love them. Even if I have the opportunity to see them, I will hug them and I will pray for them. When asked how he could forgive the men who tried to kill him, Habila replied, because Christ is love. The God I am serving is love. He commands us to love each other. That's got to be hard. Now think about the enemy that came to your mind. Did the enemy do anything approaching that? If this gentleman, Habila, can forgive, can we not forgive those that God has placed into our mind as our enemies? The conclusion we find is in verse 48. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It doesn't mean without any sin, and you know that. You understand that the word perfect there is a Greek word, teleos. We've heard it many times. It means to reach an intended end or a completion, often translated mature. But here it's translated perfect, and it actually means perfect. We're supposed to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. That is, there's a standard that is there, and that's what we try to achieve. That's our ultimate aim, is to be like Him. Why did Jesus ask us to grant grace and mercy to our enemies? One of the reasons is so that we can show that we're children of a father who is perfect. Is it possible to do what it says here? No. Not possible to do it entirely 100%, but that should be our target. We should always be heading in that direction. And no one should be dismissing this teaching, throwing it out. The teaching all through the Sermon on the Mount saying that's unreasonable, it's too hard. It's so difficult, I'm not even going to try. Now what we have is we have a standard. We have a standard to look up to and we have a Holy Spirit. We've got power. We don't have to be like everyone else. We can be like the Lord. We were involved years ago in some marches where we were holding some placards and we were trying to promote pro-life. During that time, there were a lot of demonstrations. There were a lot of things that were going on. And you could see a lot of people who were in the cause of Christ screaming and hollering at the people who were pro-abortionists. And the, uh, the veins in their neck were bulging and they're screaming out murderers and all this type of thing. Is that the love that the Lord wants us to display? Obviously not. We've got a standard in the Holy Spirit and we need to be like the Lord Jesus. Perhaps someone is thinking, my enemy is beyond loving. I can't pray for him or her. You don't know what that person did. No, but I know someone who had enemies who ridiculed him, spit on him, beat him so severely that he wasn't even recognized as a human being, mocked him in painful ways, including a crown of thorns jammed on his head. That's someone who was then nailed to a cross. I know someone like that, and I know what he said. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. That's the standard that we've been given. That's what we're to look up to. Joe Stoll said this, If you were to ask me who I am, I'd tell you that I'm a follower of Jesus. But I have to admit, at times, following him is a real challenge. And then he reviews where we've been in Matthew 5 for us. He says, Jesus tells me to do things like rejoice when I'm persecuted, to turn the other cheek, to give to someone who wants to take from me, to love my enemies, 
to bless those who curse me, to do good to those who hate me. This kind of lifestyle seems very upside down to me. But I've come to realize that he's not upside down. I am. We have all been born fallen and broken. Being twisted by sin, our first instincts are often wrong, which inevitably leaves a big mess. We're like toast slathered with jelly that has fallen upside down on the kitchen floor. Left to ourselves, we can make a pretty big mess of things. Then Jesus comes along like a divine spatula, scrapes us off the floor of our sinful ways, and turns us right side up. And as we follow his right side up ways, we discover that turning the other cheek keeps us from getting caught in a brawl, that it is more blessed to give than to receive, and that dying to self is life at its best. After all, his ways are not our ways. And I've come to realize that his ways are always best. Let's stop right now before I close in prayer. Give each of us a moment to pray for an enemy or two or three as a first step in loving. It's the first action. Somebody's in all of our minds. Take a moment silently and pray. And please don't stop. But just now, we'll prime our pumps and I'll close in prayer in just a moment. Our Heavenly Father, you are mighty to save. And we're asking you right now for particular individuals that we may have been able to assign the term enemy to. Will you be mighty to save them, to give them not just a good life, but an eternal life with you as well? Doesn't matter what they've done or continue to do, we're asking that you save them. invite us all to stand for one last song. Sing together. Everyone needs compassion. Everyone needs compassion, a love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior, the hope of nations. Sing Savior. Savior. He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of.
salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. So take me as you find me. So take me as you find me. All my fears and failures. Oh, fill my life again. I give my life to follow everything I believe in. Now I for the man in the mask I would pray that he would experience your compassion and your forgiveness as he's called to repentance 
and bows before you, a holy God. I pray that you would bring into his life the truth and light his life, as well as all the other ones that we've been praying for now. Because Jesus told us to, and we thank you in his name. Amen. Savior.